Well, uh, thank you guys for allowing me to be here this morning. Uh, I hope I have enough of a voice uh, to get through this. I have been blessed with whatever is going around here, and uh, maybe a short sermon. Kenny was amening that earlier, so uh, it's definitely good to be back. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeremy Holland, and I grew up here, and so it's good to be home. Uh, I, I have been the uh, youth pastor at Fellowship in Winterville for the last 12 years. And I'm also a full-time math teacher in my 19th year of teaching. I kind of probably blame Kenny for part of that. He probably instigated some of that. He was my youth pastor and math teacher growing up, so he probably had some impact in warping me to the point where I'm at now. So if you want to blame anything that happens, you can blame it on him. So that'll be good. Uh, well, if you got a Bible, uh, we're going to look at really one verse of Scripture, then we'll expound upon that. Expound upon that. <clears throat> And that is uh, Romans 3.23. Many of you probably know that by heart. We use that often in the presentation of the gospel as a part of the Roman road. Um, I'm actually going to read it from the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation has a way of putting it that to me has uh, just changed my viewpoint on it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But in the New Living Translation, Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So I was thinking about that word standard, and I think that's, um, it's, that's an addition. You know, most of the time we just talk about falling short of God's glory. But I think the use of the word standard adds to the understanding of what's going on here. I think it's really important. Standards are usually designed with the basic purpose of setting out agreed principles or criteria so that we can judge the quality or value of a particular product, service, or practice. For instance, we've been talking a lot about the standard of what water looks like around here. And that's a pretty high standard that we set, right? And we want to, to have standards on what it is to drink water and to use water. And, and that's a big deal. We all may have our preferred version of bottled water that we like. I know some people think that it one brand tastes different than the other. And, and so we have standards for that. But we have standards for a reason, right? It's important. We need to know if water is safe. Around the world, so many people do not have safe water to drink. Their water does not meet standards. And it is a very, very important life goal that we get clean water to peoples of the world. Sometimes standards vary from person to person. For instance, if we went out to eat and we both ordered a steak, your standard of what the perfect steak is and my standard of what the perfect steak may look different. You may like a thick cut of steak that's medium rare and still on the verge of mooing when it comes out. And maybe I like it really thin and charred to a crisp, or that's the way my wife likes to eat it. And so, you know, in the end, we have different standards. And in that situation, maybe there's no correct standard, but it's still a standard, right? It's a standard of what we look at and view as quality, as our level of enjoyment. Uh, I was thinking about standards. One set of standards is the SI units of measure. Being a math teacher, that comes up a lot. And I started doing some research on the meter. The meter is the standard for length measurement around the world. And I was going to bring a meter stick, but I, I forgot. So just imagine a meter stick, okay? But it's interesting to think that that length has been a standard since 1791. Okay, in 1791, they set about trying to determine what would be the unit of measurement we would use to measure length, and they decided upon the meter. But even in deciding upon that length, they had a couple of options. One was to take the length of a pendulum that would have one second for half its period. Well, if anybody knows what that means, you can get back to me. But I think it means if you take the length of a pendulum that from one edge to the center would be one second, that's the length of a meter. Well, that seems like a pretty random 
way to measure that. The other way was they were going to take one quarter of the distance around the world. And because this was centered there in France, they were going to use the measurement from the North Pole to the equator through France, which I believe is called the Prime Meridian. And they were going to take one-fourth of that length all the way around the world. And they were going to divide that by 10 million. That's also very easy to calculate. Who goes and measures that length and then figures that out? Well, between those two measurements, they decided on the one ten millionth of one quarter of the way around the earth. So I guess that's one forty millionth of the distance around the earth is what a meter was decided on in 1791. Since 1791, the exact length of the meter has been adjusted five times. So this is our standard of length measurement, and now in the last... 200 and so years, we've adjusted it five times. It's been defined by the wavelengths of radioactive energy. That's easy for us to go and compare against. It's also now defined as one ridiculous fraction of the speed of light. Okay? I don't understand. So, whatever. So, we have these standards of measurements that are supposed to be standards for around the world. How do you measure your life, your meter stick, against the actual meter stick? How do you make measurements? How do we know that we're measuring correctly? We don't. We base it on somebody else's standard, right? So some of us, maybe another standard, as we enter the phases of life, we start looking for the significant other. I've got one child that's entering his teen years, and we've been giving him advice on what it looks like to, to seek out a boyfriend or a girlfriend in you know, the next 10, 20 years. And uh, kind of, you know, what does that process look like? And, and sometimes finding someone that meets your standards is tough, right? Some of us have to lower our standards, I think my wife had to do that. I, on the other hand, greatly exceeded my standards by the grace of God. And so uh, some of us get to do that. But I realized if I've greatly exceeded my standards, then she probably had to lower hers. So uh, we get those. But, you know, the idea of standards, they vary from place to place. There's one standard that I think has, has set my viewpoint on what it means to be a human standard. And this standard has been in place since 1991. So I'm going to need to demonstrate this for you. I brought a tape measure because it's, it's a crucial um, there's a fellow by the name of Mike Powell, set a record, 1991, and it's been in place since then, and it's the long jump record. Anybody know what that is? Off the top of your head, I'm sure. You know, you probably got that memorized. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, I've, I've decided in order to make this extremely visual to understand, I'm going to have my boys come help me. They told me this would embarrass them for the rest of their life, but it's okay. I'm, I'm willing to live with that. So if one of you will stand at this end just so you can see, because I know it's hard to see the tape measure on the ground, so you just put your foot on it, it's good. And then, Drew, if you'll come down to this end. All right, so that's 29 feet, four and a half inches. A man took off running and jumped from where Gavin is standing, skywalked through the air and landed where Drew is standing. Do you see why that's been set since 1991 and no one has ever broken that? I will give anyone an opportunity who wants to to come and try. We can try that right now. You don't have very much running room, but we can start in the back and take off. That's a human standard. Thanks, boys. You can sit down. That's a human standard. Um, human standards can sometimes be hard to match up to. Right? That one has blown my mind. The fact that a man could literally jump through the air almost 30 feet is mind-blowing to me. And that human standard will probably stand for years to come because it's unreal. I mean, and that's a human standard. Here today, we're talking about God's standards, God's glorious standards. And we all, I think, can very clearly say that if we tried to match up to this human standard, that we would fall short of that. I would fall 
very short. I would just fall. That's what would happen, okay? And there's no way that I could live up to and meet that human standard, much much less the glorious standard of God and who he is. Right? We can't live up to that. And we must understand that for everyone has sinned. We have missed the mark of God's standard. We fall short of so many human standards, much less the standard of God. So what does God's standard look like? I want to have you jump in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. I'll give you a second to get there. I uh, decided not to throw sermon notes up because I wasn't sure exactly where I'd end up going. As a matter of fact, I changed the sermon a little bit last night. So um, hard to make sermon notes in advance when you end up changing things. But Colossians 1.15, if we're going to look at the standard of God's glory, then we have to look at the fullness of his character, the fullness of his majesty, and according to Colossians 1, verse 15, that is Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. The word image there in the Greek is E-I-K-O-N in English, or icon. It's where we get our term for icon, like clicking on a computer or these lovely apps on our phones. We have icons that represent stuff. A lot of times when I'm teaching on this verse in the youth, I will throw up some logos. There are logos in the world that we can look at, and we can know exactly what company that represents just by the logo. If we throw a swoosh up there, we know it's exactly Nike, right? We don't have to see a word Nike. We know that. We associate that image with that company, with that brand, or a purple bell, we Think Taco Bell, right? Or there's all these images we could throw up there, and we associate a company with a logo, right, with their icon. And God has told us that if you want to associate him with a representation, then you need to do that with Jesus. I'm not very good with these earpieces. I'm going to rip it off my head. I think I'm getting too animated up here. There we go. Uh, So this says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him, and that includes you. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. In all his fullness, the complete standard of God, the complete fullness of his majesty lived within Jesus. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So we see this connection to what does the fullness of God's glory look like? It looks like Jesus. Jesus in all his fullness. And we see that the plan of Jesus was to fulfill the plan of redemption. 
And so we're going to see we very clearly do not meet the requirement of matching up to the fullness of God's glory. But there is still hope for us, even though we fall drastically short. I've heard Josh McDowell speak several times, and uh, it is definitely an honor to hear the man talk. He's been preaching and teaching for so many years, started off life as an atheist, um, sexually abused, uh, abused by his his father, who's an alcoholic, went through life hating God, hating anything that had to do with God, and through some interaction with some Christians, set out to prove that Christianity was a lie, and God just saved him right in the middle of his skepticism. And that's just an awesome story to see that at work. But he'll often ask this question to get you thinking. He'll ask the question, why is it wrong to lie? So I'll let you kind of devise your own answer in your head. I won't ask you an answer out loud. But why is it wrong to lie? You know, what makes lying wrong, or as we would call it biblically, a sin? And so people start giving several answers. You know, one is, well, the Bible says it's wrong. He says, okay, well, that's true, but that's not the reason why it's wrong to lie. And some people say, well, my parents told me not to lie, and I sh- I'm supposed to obey my parents. And he says, well, that's true, but that's not the reason it's wrong to lie. Some people will mention that lying hurts the liar and those around them. And that's true, but that's not the reason it's wrong to lie. The reason it is wrong to lie is because God is truth. When we lie, we are breaking the very standard of God's glory in whose image we were designed. And when we set about to live life on our own standards, by our own rules, what do we do? We break the standard of God's glory, of God's fullness. Every sin in the Bible, if you look at it, is wrong because it is against the standard set by who God is and by God's glory. It's wrong to lie because God is truth. It's wrong for us to hate others because God has shown himself to be love. Every sin that we encounter and that we interact with and that we allow to come into our life is wrong because it is against the standard of God's glory and his majesty. I uh, grew up in a construction family. Both sides of my family, every person in my family is in construction. I am not, okay? And there are good reasons for that. I spent all my summer years trying to drive nails and mostly carrying things and getting yelled at because I carried the wrong thing that I was asked for. And I don't know why, but I apparently missed that construction gene. I I can do some things. I'm getting better, but I missed that. And, you know, the goal in construction is that you... Try to build something by a standard, right? The standard in building, one of the main standards is that it has a good foundation. And then when you start to build that it is level or uh, plumb or straight or one of those terms, right? And that's the problem. When I build stuff, it's always crooked and askew and doesn't line up. And I'm like, what in the world happened here? That's just what happens with me when I try to build things, right? That my entire family, my dad would look at me and just shake his head. He's like, I don't know how you were my son and you've done this. But, you know, it's, it's just the way things have gone. Um, the situation I live in is that my construction doesn't meet standards. And therefore, construction was not going to be my lifestyle. Otherwise, nobody would hire me. Um, but here's the thing, right? When we are living life and building our lives, we are building them based upon a standard. And we like to think, and the world likes to think, that building our lives are kind of like picking your choice of steak. That you can pick your choice of steak, I can pick my choice of steak, and it's fine. We all have our preferences, and we can live life how we choose. But that's not true in life. 
We were designed by God in the image of God. And we are called to build our lives by the glorious standard of God. And God's plumb line, God's level, God's straight edge, the fullness of God's character is in Jesus. And just like Mike Powell's long jump record, when we compare our lives to the lives of Jesus, we fall drastically short. We build our lives on our own. We know if we build our lives apart from Christ and the the principles of God's word, they are askew. They are crooked. They are a mess. Jesus said they're often even on a sandy foundation that when the storms come, they crumble. You know, and if we stop there, if we stopped with Romans 23, 3.23, we would all be depressed and without hope because we've all sinned. We all fall short. We don't measure up. Paul even said in Romans 7.15, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You know, that tends to be the way we build our lives. We, we look out in the life, we want to live life by God's standards. So often I don't think too many people want to go out and just screw their lives up and, and live a life totally apart from God. But that's what we do. And even Paul said, even though I knew what was good and right, I found myself doing the very things that I hate. Why? Because he was doing it under his own power, living by the standards of the Pharisees rather than the true standards of God. And the law began to reveal that he truly was without hope on his own. But we're not without hope. He even continued in Romans 7, 21. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death. And it it just looks like he's without hope, but he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. But he says there's hope, right, in Jesus. So let's let's go back to Romans 3.23. I I don't want us to end there. It's interesting. If you, we so often memorize Romans 3.23, to talk about our situation of sin, that, that we are sinners and that we fall short of God's glorious standard. But a lot of times we don't memorize and we don't learn and we don't look at the verses that follow. There's a yet that comes right after that, and it is the good news. So back to Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right, level, plumb, up to standard in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. We fell short. 
horribly short, is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God. He makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law and see our need to follow the law in the power of God and not in our own power. Once you place your faith in Christ Jesus, he's promised to make you born anew, to begin building your life using his standards, plumb, straight, on a solid foundation. The key is this, this idea of faith. And uh, the, the word in Hebrew or in uh, Greek is pistuo. And it has this, this interesting connotation. I've tried to, to find ways to explain it, to get the full meaning across. And the best way I can describe it is the chair. We've, we've seen this instance often. But when we take a chair, we could take this chair, for instance, we think about sitting in it. Most of us don't go and kind of like test it out and wiggle it to see if it's sturdy. Most of us just go and we just sit down, right? But if you've had a chair, I remember one time we had a, one of those like camp chairs at our house and we had a friend over and he sat in that thing trusting it. <laughs> Bad choice. And it had a little plastic nodule over on one end. And the next thing I know, that hits our ceiling. And he ends up through the chair with his legs sticking straight up. And I thought we were going to have him surgically removed. Okay, So he should not have – it was Marcus Brown, by the way, in case anybody knows him. So, uh, but you can talk to him about that later. But anyway, he got stuck in the chair, and it was bad because he went through this thing, and he was, you know, legs and arms both directions. Shouldn't have trusted the chair, but he did. And the chair was not worthy of his trust. We trust something in life. We put our full weight in that. Um, some people trust the laws of the world and humanism and atheism. And there's so many isms of the world that we can put our faith and trust in. But to trust God is to trust him not with blind faith, but with what I call substantiated faith. God has proven himself worthy. He proved himself worthy to the Jews over and over and over again. And my guess is he has proven himself worthy to you. He has worked in your life over the years, and you can look back over your life, and you can see him at work. And you know that he loves you. He died for you. You know that he desires relationship with you. And you know that he can carry you through. And so your choice in life then is what do you build your life on? It's kind of like how you sit in a chair. Do you go and kind of sort of test it and then gently sit in it and wiggle to make sure it's going to hold you up and then rest in it just kind of loosely? Or is it like your recliner at home? Do you go in and just fall into that thing and throw one leg over the arm and just relax fully, the full weight of your body and life in that chair? Faith in Jesus should look like the recliner. That we take the full weight of our life Everything that we are, every bit that we are, and we rest it in him, trusting that he is able to hold us up. Not worried that we're going to fall and collapse because he has us fully holding us up. And that's what pastuo faith looks like here. When, when Paul says that it's, if we emphasize faith, does that mean we forget about, the, forget about the law? Only when we have faith, only when we're resting fully in Jesus do we truly fulfill the law. Because we find that He is our strength. We find that He is our purpose. And that He is our only hope for living life fully, completely, and rightly built up.
Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. I'll close with this. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have, taste, you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He, has re- he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And listen to this. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple, right? He is doing that work of building, using the standards of his glory to build you as you were designed to be in his image, in his purpose, and for his glory. When we do the building of our lives, it tends to look like the things that I build, a bit askew, a bit off. When God does it, it's perfect. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. I don't know where you stand today. I don't know your spiritual walk with Christ. But he does and you do. And so I just invite you this morning. Maybe you need to trust him more. Maybe you need to quit gently resting in Jesus. Maybe you need to fall into him. And just know that he's going to hold you up. Um, you do business with God this morning. You, you allow him to work in your life. We'll have a, an invitation. You guys, why don't you stand with me? Uh, we'll pray real quick, and then we'll have a, a closing time. If you need to pray, you come and do that. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Father, I know it challenges us to, to evaluate our own lives, to look at the truth of who you are and who we are. And I know just as we measured ourselves by that long jump record of Mike Powell and know that we fall short of that, Father, we know we fall short of matching up to your glory and to who you are. Uh, Father, we desire to to be in relationship with you. We know you've made a way for that to be possible. And we just pray that you'd help us to rest in you, to trust in you, to have that faith that is saving faith that makes a difference in our life each and every day and that each and every day we, we awake to follow you, to live in you, to trust you. Father, help us to live by your standard of holiness and of glory and help us to look like you as you build our lives. So in Jesus' name that we pray.